Welcome to season three of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, Esports 101, Building a Business. Over the past year, we've talked with many esports professionals around the world. Our audience knows how to play games, and now they're eager to level up their skills in the business arena. This season aims to equip every esports entrepreneur with practical and useful knowledge to achieve success. Think of it as a mini course, Esports 101. And now your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, where we talk about how esports can create jobs all over the world. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Now, in season one, we talked about jobs. In season two, we talked about sponsorship. We talked about investment. We call it follow the money. Now, in season three, we're talking more about business basics, esports 101. Really happy here. Today, today's guest is Daniel Rourke. She's the chief technology and innovation strategist for higher education. That's one great title at Dell Technologies. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm excited to be here. Great. So where are you speaking to us from? I am just north of Denver, Colorado in the United States. Great. Could you tell us a little bit more about one of the things I always talk about here is uh, the the geography that people come from, because a lot of people are from all over the well, our audience is really global. And a lot of times uh, doesn't everyone thinks that everything in the U.S. is either in Los Angeles or New York. And so could you describe what uh, what's going on in Denver these days? Yeah, it, there is a lot going on in Denver, especially in the collegiate scene. We've got so many fantastic esports teams from um, CU Boulder and UCCS, um, Colorado School of Mines and um, University of Denver. So there there's a really great energy around gaming and esports and bringing it into the Colorado space, exactly like what you were talking about, Tom. So many people think that if you want to be in games or if you want to be in esports, you've got to be on the coasts. And we're really trying to change that narrative by making sure that everyone knows, no, you know, Colorado is welcoming of those economic opportunities. We're welcoming of students who have that as a passion. We really want to be seen as a leader in tech. One of the things I like, I uh, grew up in Wyoming and went to University of Wyoming in Laramie. We would go to Fort Collins. We'd go to CFU because it was like summer a month earlier than it was in Laramie. Yes. <laughs> the weather was always so much better. So, um, yeah, I'm familiar with Beautiful that. campus, too. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fort Collins was always a nice place there. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things I think, and another reason why I was really, really glad to have you come on the podcast is you come from a different perspective. Because you're not, you know, we talk to people who are entrepreneurs who are setting up, you know, esports organizations, or we talk to people who, who work, um, you know, selling things to um, esports organizations. And you come at it from a little different angle, which is really, really good from an audience standpoint, because you, you've seen so many different people doing it in, in different ways that you can kind of, you know, not to point out, you know, things, but you, you can kind of get a feel for this works, this doesn't work. So. Can you talk a little bit about your journey into esports um, and gaming in particular? Did you, was there a, a PS1, a PS2 in your childhood? <laughs> there was an Atari in my childhood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. So, um, but yes, I, I have been a gamer ever since I was a little kid. The first games I remember playing were on my 386 processor computer, and it was like Alley Cat and um, Tapper. You know, where you'd slide the drinks down the bar, and then you had to catch them all before people were angry. And, um, you know, I played some Zork, some of the, uh, you know, narrative fiction games. So those were really what I got started on. And then I also started playing on Nintendo, uh, like Tech Mobile, like the uh, football games with my older brother. And then really found my place uh, as a friend group with a lot of the people who were gamers. A lot of boys back then, and unfortunately, there weren't a whole lot of girls that were doing it, or at least public about gaming. Um, but definitely stayed as one of my passions. Um, you know, I actually thought I was going to go to school to be a game art designer when I was uh, growing up. My dream job was to be a cinematics artist for Blizzard, and you know, unfortunately, life takes twists and turns and changes, and that doesn't always work out. But 
I got into IT instead and so started working um, you know, at, at call centers helping troubleshoot telephones or oh, you know, wow. going Yeah. That, you, I, no, that that's if you want to learn how something works, you take a job doing that. You, exactly. You're, you're on the spot all the time. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, so, you know, from that, I, I stayed in school. I got uh, my, my associate's, my bachelor's, my master's degree in IT, um, kept working tech jobs. I was a, a project test manager for Verizon Business. I was um, a systems analyst for an accounting firm. I was a business analyst and then a development manager for an agriculture company. Uh, and then I went to work at CE Boulder. I was an associate director of IT there, um, working with the learning management system, as well as like the student portal, online innovative technology, uh, getting degrees offered in, in partnership with MOOC providers. Uh, so had a lot of really great opportunities there, had kind of set aside my dreams of working in the gaming environment or industry, uh, just you know, oh, okay, that can be a hobby, but it's probably not going to be what I do for work. Uh, and then I got the opportunity to interview with Dell to be a, a technology innovation strategist specifically for higher education. And nowhere in the job posting did it say anything at all about games or esports or anything like that. But when I went down to Texas and did my interview, uh, there was an experience lounge and it had all the Alienware set up with curb screens and all of the RGB lighting. And I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. Um, I, I have a 20-year-old son currently. He was about 16 at the time when I went down there to visit. And I asked one of the people with me, I said, can you take a picture of me in this setup? Because my son is going to be so jealous. And so they did. And the, you know, the hiring manager, who is our, our current boss and our senior director of education strategy, he said, so do you like video games? Is that something you're interested in? And, you know, this is some advice that I always give students, too. I was like, oh, this is the time to tactfully, responsibly and professionally let my geek flag fly and <laughs> just explain how passionate I am about this. And so so I did. I went into, a, yeah, I've been a gamer since I was a little girl, and I really think it has so many great opportunities. And after I got done talking to him about it, he goes, all right, I may have a side job that I want you to do in addition to kind of, you know, the base duties of being an education strategist. And so that's how I got introduced into the esports world. Uh, you know, I, had, I knew about it, but I had always been more on kind of the RPG solo gamer side, just personally. And then when I started exploring and getting involved in esports, I saw the amazing opportunities and the just incredible environment that it created for especially students who maybe didn't always have a niche somewhere else. You know, these are students that maybe band was not their thing or they are not physical athletes or, you know, et cetera. And it really gave them the sense of belonging while teaching them skills. And so I got super passionate about it. And that's what I've been doing for the last to, four years. Sorry to interrupt you. Can you no, be, right. it, can you repeat that again? That is such a great point that I always want. I want people to really grasp going through the conversation that you saw that this is something that could be of interest, could help people that maybe work for one reason or another, didn't feel like they were mainstream out there. Sorry, could you re just yeah. repeat that part of it again? Because that's such an important part. Absolutely. Point. Absolutely. And it is, you know, I've always felt that gaming brings people together because you're having fun. You're doing something interactive. You're being a part of something together. But esports really takes it to the next level because you're introducing the team dynamics. You're introducing competition. You're introducing so many different soft skills and um, global profession or proficiencies, you know, things like how do you work on AV setups and how do you troubleshoot computers when they go down in the middle of a match and um, all of these things. But really core is the fact that you're creating a community that especially the young people and, and oftentimes even the faculty and staff members who help run it, you know, they, they never had this before. They never had this group of people that they could mesh so well with and that they shared interests and um, that it was really just a happy, fun experience to be with these people. That's great. That's great. Just um, maybe if you could talk a little bit about Dell 
because I'm sure that there's, you know, people around the world are probably familiar with Dell, but if you, what exactly, because you also mentioned Alienware and it's like, wow, you guys get Alienware uh, uh, hardware. It's like, so can you just describe what Dell does in general? Yeah, absolutely. So Dell Technologies is a global manufacturer of computing devices, servers, storage, um, pretty much anything that you need to run a business, run an organization. We truly want to be the provider for all of your technology needs. And our you know, our mission and our values align with our goal of really advancing human progress. And it's a very vague statement, but it's intentionally vague because there are so many different ways that technology can help advance human progress. Um, so we didn't want to limit it down to, you know, we want to provide you with the storage to make the world a safer place. Um, we, we do cybersecurity. We do hardware. We also have a lot of partnerships um, with other organizations that help provide 5G networking and internet connectivity, as well as cybersecurity partners um, and our own offerings that will try to really help make sure that your technology assets are safe. So there's definitely, you know, kind of the I think when people think of us, mostly it's it's laptops and desktops, but there is so much more than that. We do as a service offerings. We're um, you know putting things in the cloud like everyone else. We're working on generative AI tools that really again drive back to that making sure that humans can progress. No, I think that's a good description because yeah, I think people do think oh Dell that's that's what it says on my laptop sort of thing. yeah, and and it's like but there's there's a whole lot more to that. I want to talk a little bit about gaming and esports and education. Because in particular, because you have a really good perspective on that. Can you kind of describe maybe what the landscape looks like right now for um esports and education and maybe how it got there? Yeah, absolutely. So we have definitely seen this enormous explosion of uh, esports popularity and more and more people in the educational industry understanding those benefits that we were just talking about, the soft skills, the community, the learning tech and career skills, all of that. Um, so I think the message has really started to get out there. I would say, you know, from my personal experience that I've had over the past four years, collegiate is definitely a little bit farther along than the K-12 school districts. And um, those are definitely American terms. So apologies for the global audience. Um, you know, basically higher education or second post-secondary education is a little bit farther along than the elementary or the basic level education. Um, a lot of factors come into that. Some of it is the types of games that can be played at higher education. Some of that is funding options. Some of that is, you know, parental buy-in. When you're dealing with uh, college-age students, they're typically adults or very, very close to being adults. Um, so they're able to, you know, sign for a lot of things and decide a lot of things for themselves, whereas the younger students um, still very much are under the purview of parents and administrators who may or may not understand all of the amazing benefits that can come from bringing gaming and esports into the classroom. So we're definitely trying to change that narrative. There have been so many great studies out there. Um, you know, there is a definite booming of research as well, like academic rigorous research from very respected doctors and scientists and social scientists in their field, really trying to pay attention to, okay, you know, this we are now kind of where sports, traditional sports uh, research was in the 70s and the 80s, you know, when we decided, oh, hey, concussions are bad and we should probably try to avoid those. So there's so such a need for having that academic rigorous research so that when we're putting on esports tournaments or when we're training, um, whether that's uh, scholastic players or professional players, that we know, okay, it's really recommended to not have a match go longer than this. And then have them get up, have the players walk around, have them do some physical activity. And, oh, why are you saying that? Because there have been academic studies for it. So that is one area that I'm super passionate about is making sure that we have that research out there. And then also just sharing the story about how beneficial these esports and gaming programs are to the students, letting them have voice and choice in their learning 
and allowing them to do something that they're passionate about and really thrive and just let their wings loose and soar because this is something that they want to do, but they're still learning valuable skills out of it. Do you see that there's um, more specialized um, uh, diplomas, um, degrees in esports than maybe there was in the past? 100%. And is, is that a good thing? It can be. Um, want to be careful about that. There's actually a really great study out there it's on the International Journal of Esports website. It's totally free. Uh, it's by Dr. Seth Jenny and a few others. Uh, but they did an inventory of academic programs of esports globally. And they're still trying to collect more data. I think they're probably going to do an update to that research in a couple of years. But there are 100% uh, a lot more programs, academic programs for minors, majors, degrees, certificates uh, than there ever were before. Uh, most of the colleges and universities have also come to recognize it's a potential new income stream for them. If we look at it from a business perspective, I mean, you know, ev everybody in academia like hates to talk about it as a business, but there truly is a business element to it in the fact that you have to be able to attract students to your school, especially in that higher education realm. And you have to be offering modern skill sets. And areas where the students are passionate and the rise of esports in both the lower grade levels and the post-secondary education has really shown that, you know, this is where students are. Over 70% of them identify as gamers and 90% of them, give or take a few, are playing games at least once a month on some kind of a device, whether that's Candy Crush or whether that's Call of Duty. Um, so it's something that colleges and universities can do to create new income streams for themselves by offering these new programs and, and majors. There's a tremendous model to follow, and that's with traditional sports at the collegiate level. I mean, yes. Th 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 it's hard to believe here in the U.S. how much of the budget of universities of higher education is covered by um by traditional sports, football, basketball out there. And just like you say, people don't want to talk about it, but it's, it's real and, and it's, a, it's a, a really big source. And I don't think esports is, is set up in quite the same way because you don't have the media rights uh, uh, revenue coming in for esports that you do in, uh, in traditional sports. But there's still a lot of places to, uh, to make some comparisons. Can you talk a little bit about um, what are the kind of challenges? Do you think there are out there that that are keeping esports and and education from doing what everything that they could? I know it's kind of an unfair question, but it's like, what are the what are the kinds of challenges that you see? Because like like we were saying earlier, it's like you you get to see a lot of different places, and you know we don't want you to point out that these these guys are are, are bozos, but uh, but what are the kinds of challenges that you see? There's. There are a few. I, I definitely don't want to, you know, paint a completely rosy picture. I would say that the biggest one is the toxicity that exists out there. You know, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that exist, you know, especially just in public games and public lobbies for some of these different game titles that are not thinking about it as a, oh, I may have sixth graders on here with me or, you know, oh, this, you know, I wouldn't talk to my kid that way, but this is just some faceless avatar on the internet. Um, you know, there, there is definitely some harassment that goes on there, uh, especially when it comes to female gamers, when it comes to younger gamers who, you know, maybe have, you know, less booming voices when they come on voice chat, which which keeps those gamers from coming on voice chat and experiencing the game fully because they don't want to have that harassment or that retaliation or be treated differently in games. There's been so many great uh, you know, studies and advertisements lately from a variety of different brands where they have you know male identifying gamers sit down and use a voice changer or only play with female avatars. And they recognize immediately what a different experience it is for them. So, you know, that is something that is is truly an issue that we have to combat. 
And there are a lot of great organizations out there like Women in Gaming International and um, Latinx in Gaming and um, Black Girl Gamers and, you know, things like that, that are really trying to combat those stereotypes, trying to combat the environments um, that are created. I personally think that educational institutions have an incredible opportunity and responsibility to be able to help create some of those safe spaces. Um, you know, there's a, a few different schools that I work with. Like, um, I'm actually going to call out somebody for a great job that I think good, good, DePaul- even better. <laughs> DePaul University in Illinois, um, they make you know all of their their esports players go through a bystander training, um, so that they understand, you know, hey, if one of your teammates is getting harassed in chat or in the game lobby or in voice chat, you know, don't don't just let it go. Don't just think that that person's going to go away. Like, stand up for them and. Or bring it to the attention of one of the teachers or one of the staff members that's there with it. You know, this is how you can be an active ally for those people who are part of your team, but, you know, maybe look different than you or um, are, you know, the traditional kind of stereotypical gamer when you when you have that image in your head. So I, I think that schools have just this great opportunity to provide that social and emotional learning training. Um, to provide coaches and staff members that understand inclusivity and diversity and making sure that everyone feels like they have a safe space to be there. Um, I would say the other, probably the other main challenge, uh, you know, keeping schools from totally embracing gaming and esports are, are technology challenges. There are, you know, so many different platforms that maybe don't get along very well with the security measures that are in place on school district networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, you know, for example, um, honestly, Discord is one of the challenging ones because so many gamers use Discord. It's pretty much, you know, ubiquitous throughout the gaming community. And most of the collegiate teams will use Discord to chat, to have their communities, to get involvement. But if your students are under 13, that's not going to go well because you know the different regulations that are out there also schools trying to make sure that they have controls over who gets into those chat channels and what kind of content they can put in there um so i I think we're definitely you know making strides towards addressing those challenges but a lot of the times schools will have to come up with their own methods of changing the game a little bit, so to speak, of using Microsoft Teams, perhaps, or um, only playing certain games, you know, that meet certain criteria, like most of the K-12s will focus on Rocket League or Smash Brothers or Brawlhalla or, you know, the games that are more focused on the gameplay, as opposed to any underlying, you know, hey, we're going to go shoot terrorists, because that's just not good to have in a K-12 environment. Um, But I think one way that especially industry can help with that is by providing those communities and those spaces for those educators to network together and to ask for advice and to get help. I know here at Dell, we actually, we have an esports for education discord server that we sponsor um, that is just a community of around 500 people that ask questions like, where did you order your jerseys from? Or does anybody have an example of an esports coach posting that we could put out there? Um, and then we also have networking groups. We've got a K-12 networking group where school district administrators, principals, teachers um, can all come together and say, OK, how did you guys address these port opening challenges for the Nintendo Switches during your games? Um, and then we have an esports research collaborative. Going back to my earlier point, that's a little bit more high ed focused. But how do we make sure that all these researchers across the world doing this very important academic research in gaming and esports? have a venue to get together and a place to share ideas and to meet each other. So I I think industry can really help facilitate the mitigation of some of those challenges. You you launched into my next question because I was going to ask you, (laughs) which is great. This is exactly the the way that a conversation went to happen. Because what can industry do? Because you're sitting there at Dell and, and, you know, you're uh, first I want to talk about, you know, externally. And then I want to talk about internally, because I know in, in, in large corporations that there's it, it getting buy-in from, from people is, can be, can be a job all by itself, but, mm-hmm. but externally, well, how, what can, or what can industry, what can manufacturers who are interested in the, the ecosystem, 
what can they do? You're, you've been describing a few things. Could you, are there any, is there anything else that comes to mind that, that could be done that maybe isn't being done? Yeah. So for example, some of the things that we've done, uh, we've partnered with a couple of different schools to actually create curriculum. Um, so we've partnered with a school in Canada. Uh, we created a diversity, equity, and inclusion in esports curriculum and helped actually teach that class um, for University of New Haven in Connecticut. And, and so providing some of those examples and making those resources available um, to customers, to people who are interested, who are really trying to drive, I think those are some incredible assets that can be out there. We also have a K-12 curriculum that's really focused around CTE classes, like, you know, continuing technical education classes or um, after school programs. Um, so we really want to try to get that information out there to get um, any packages of like, you know, how here's our suggestions on how to run a tournament or here are our suggestions for some of the hardware that you may need, you know, and and sure, you can get it from us or through our partners. But we really just want to make sure that that information is out there and available to anybody that's interested, whether that's lower grades or, or higher education. Um, I, you know, I, I think that there's kind of this misconception among the industry that as long as you throw dollars at it, it'll be fine and they'll love you and they'll buy your product. And, you know, at least in my experience, that's one of the things that really sets Dell apart is the fact that we recognize like, hey, yes, we make incredible products and we have awesome premium brands like Alienware, but we also want to make sure that we have some of these other resources for you. We want to provide you with curriculum. We want to provide you with a space to network with your peers. We want to host conferences that are going to have um, insight sessions and how to and you know put out a business template that you can just download and copy and use for your own program. We really recognize that especially in the education world, you need to provide more supports than just the hardware. Yes. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear that. Yeah. Money does not solve every problem. Yeah. There. Yeah. Well, Short term, maybe it's very, very. Yeah. yeah it's nice. Time. It's nice to have. The other thing that I think is really good and never sell your, I don't think you do, but never sell yourself short that your reputation coming from Dell can get you, can open doors, can, can gives you credibility that maybe. You know, some some person with a podcast doesn't have out there uh, that that always. I, I when I worked over at Warner Brothers, I really liked working at Warner Brothers because no matter where on earth I sent an email, if it came from WarnerBrothers.com, they always responded. I mean, it was just like <laughs> it's just like oh, oh, this is this must be important sort of thing. So uh, so um, absolutely, and it, it is very fortunate. Yeah, I've gotten. I've gotten some meetings and been invited to speak on some panels and things like that that I never would have without the support of, of Dell Technologies and Alienware behind my name. So I I feel very fortunate that you know Dell sees the value in investing in professionals like ourselves who have kind of that education background, um, but can really help drive the story that we want to tell and that we want to help achieve. Which is exactly what I wanted to ask you about was the, the position that you have, the chief technology and innovation strategist for higher education. Can you talk a little bit about how how was that position created? Who was it in the organization that said, hey, we need to we need to be more involved with higher education and this is the way that I think we can do this? Because um, that didn't that just didn't happen by accident. So yeah. internally can you kind of describe what the what the process was of bringing this to the to the um, top of the list? I can try. So it happened before I started. Um, so I definitely, you know, appreciate all the people before us who kind of paved the way. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I do know is it, it actually is very important to to Michael, Michael Dell. So it comes from the top, um, especially the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation. Like they're very focused on um, children. They are very focused on education. They're very focused on healthcare. Um, and so making sure that we are providing value to educators is something that has really been ingrained in the company for many, many, many years. Um, really, truly since its inception. I mean, Michael started the company in his dorm room in 1984. So, you know, obviously education and the educational environment and the innovation that can spring from those environments 
is incredibly important and always has been. Um, you know, we've, our particular team has been a part of the marketing organization, a part of the sales organization. You know, we've moved around a little bit over the years, but the main focus has always been how can we help faculty, staff, and students? Um, and, and it's, it's wonderful. And it truly is what made me go from academia to, uh, back into industry and to a corporation is the fact that I had, in all my time, I had never seen a corporation that had a team devoted to education and, and not just education. Like, you know, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of manufacturers, a lot of service providers out there that have, you know, sales teams and et cetera devoted to educational accounts. But our position, we have the incredible fortune to really be focused on the educational outcomes and how do we advance, especially STEM learning in the future generations, how can we, um, you know, and, and obviously there, there are some self-serving aspects that come out of that. Like we have our girls who gain program, which is fourth through eighth grade girls teaching them and allowing them to explore through Minecraft for education, you know, building projects, getting mentors in a safe way. But there's also the hope that you know, okay, maybe the young women that are there, they're going to remember that experience fondly. They're going to remember the things that they learned during that time in partnership with Dell. And when they get old enough to be looking for a career, they might look at us and they might come and help make our company stronger. So a lot of the times and a lot of the programs that we create, we also have a SOAR with mentor program for undergraduate and graduate level female identifying students providing them with technical knowledge, career skills like resume building and interview, and also mentorship. Many of these programs, we're trying to invest in the long haul in our customer base and in potentially our future workforce. Which is super tough to to, to keep over the long term because it's like, it's, when things get tight, guess what goes first? Yeah, a lot of those kind of programs. Yeah, yeah, which is can be kind of, short-sighted there. I want to talk a little bit, and you mentioned it a bit earlier about women in, in games mm-hmm. and and where you see the status is right now. Could you talk a little bit about how you see things changing and are they changing and what, what can make them change more if they're not? Oh, that is like the million dollar question. Um, and I wish yeah, I Take had. your time. Take your time. <laughs> I wish I had the perfect answer to that. Um, but I, I would say, yes, they are changing. Are they changing as fast as I'd like them to? Maybe not. It depends on the day. It depends on the scenario. But I am very encouraged by the amount of women that are coming forward and saying, yeah, I'm a gamer. Gaming is cool. Yeah, I play with all of these friends. And some of them are male. Some of them are female. Some of them are non-binary. And we all have fun together. And it's the love of the game that brings us together and that we can bond over. And then we can also break down some of those barriers and find commonalities among all of us. Um, I think it's also really important. There, there has been a little bit more of a focus from the industry on leadership and having female and non-binary leaders identified and promoted within the organizations. I think that's incredibly important. Um, from the gaming side specifically, I know we've started to see some good changes in the way that avatars are portrayed. Um, you know, for, for many, many, many years, if you had a female avatar, whether it was a, a non-player character or whether it was an actual player character, they were oftentimes hypersexualized and, you know, different particular attributes were overemphasized. And, you know, uh, whereas perhaps the male identifying Avatars got big bulky armor that was, you know, really shiny and well protecting. The the girls were wearing bikinis. And so um I think we have seen a lot of effort to move away from that, to find more parity between the gender representations and gaming. Um, I, you know, I know Valorant's done a good job with that. Um, Overwatch and Fortnite are starting to really try to include more characters that have diverse backgrounds and diverse um, I, I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done, but I'm very encouraged by the industry's response to the organic 
outcry, really, from just the general population of saying, no, we're here and we're part of this community and we want to be represented as such. Which is tougher these days than maybe it has been yeah. for all, all kinds of reasons, which we, we do not talk politics here. because. <laughs> Because that would be probably that would, safe. Yeah, yeah. Get us into all kinds of trouble. What well, no one we always tell people, especially in you know parts of the world, is we don't talk politics, but you need to be aware of politics. I mean, mm-hmm. politics have an incredible influence on what we all do. And so it's like don't bury your head in the sand. But at the same time, um you know, it, there's there's too many different um opinions out there. What about at yeah. Dell? What have you noticed at Dell? Are there a lot of women in high positions? At Dell, would you say that's any different there than other computer manufacturers? So I don't want to speak for the other computer manufacturers, um, but I would absolutely say that Dell tries to set ourselves apart by making sure that um, female, non-binary, um, you know, all everyone is welcome and everyone has a place at the table. We actually do have progress made real goals that we try truly try to achieve. We put out reports, we measure ourselves, we try to make sure that we are encouraging anybody that wants to go into a leadership position to approach that and that they can and that they are welcome there. So um, we do actually have a goal. Um, I I believe it's 40%. Please, uh, I'll try to look that up to make sure I'm not uh, misquoting. But you know, we want to make sure that that at least that percentage of our leadership and our management are female identifying or non-binary to make sure that everyone understands that STEM is for all. It's not just for, uh, you know, the very traditional image of, of perhaps a man in a suit, um, you know, walking around with the laptop case. So we firmly believe that we need all of those diverse inputs, uh, not just, you know, female and non-binary, but also neurodivergent. And making sure that we have space within the STEM and tech industry for all of those that want to be a part of it. And I think you're on the right track that you start early. I mean, you're you're talking about education and you need to be talking about things that are appropriate, but it's like you need to be spreading the word that diversity is not not a bad thing. Uh, The earlier that that kind of comes up in in conversation uh, from all kinds of directions, the, the, the better. It's Absolutely. Yeah. And I would I would just add in, if I can, that um, that that was really one of the driving forces of our Girls Who Game program, because uh, the research, one of my colleagues, uh, the amazing Katina Popolka, she is uh, our education strategist for all of Canada for you know K through 20. She was going around a few years ago, visiting schools and um, seeing some of these, you know, gaming and esports events and noticing that there weren't a whole lot of girls there. And so if she did find a girl, she would ask them, you know, hey, where are your friends? Like, well, you know, why aren't there more? And she would always get the answers of, oh, they thought this was a boy thing. Oh, they didn't know if they'd be welcome. Oh, they didn't want to be super competitive about it. Um, and so she started diving really deep in the research and sharing that with all of the rest of us team members. And we really saw that between that fourth through eighth grade period, girls female identifying students, really their interest in STEM seems to take a nosedive. Before that, they all want to be doctors and scientists and, um, you know, et cetera. But the societal pressures, the cultural expectations all start to seep in in that fourth through eighth grade age range. And so we said, okay, how can we really address this? How can we, as a technology company, as, you know, a a STEM provider and and STEM believers, that need STEM professionals in our workforce with our diversity uh, goals that we're trying to achieve, how can we really give back to them? And how can we help them see that this is a community that they not only deserve to be a part of, but they should be celebrated in being a part of. And, and that's part of why the mentorship component of our Girls Who Game program is so important, because we want to make sure, you know, that the old adage, you can't be what you can't see. So we want to make sure that we're putting female identifying tech professionals in front of these young girls who are in that formative stage, who, you know, are getting these messages potentially from society that, oh, that's a boy thing. Like, that's a boy career. Don't go into that. We want to make sure that they know, no, that's that's an everyone career. We need you in this. Yes. yes. 
I want to go into just a little bit more detail here on those two programs that you were talking about, because I think mentorship is something that, that can always be um, it supported. I mean, and, it, and also it can be the more models of, of mentorship that people are exposed to, the better out there, because there's, there's a million different ways to categorize it. But uh, what I saw that you had the, the mentor, uh, the mentor and regional program, you were a mentioner, you were a mentor and regional program co-lead and then uh the girls were um girls ah, i guess girls Girls who game yeah could you describe separately each one of those and and what what their objectives are because it again because i think one of the things i I like to do is to give people models to follow Uh, this Mm -hmm. is this is how someone set this up and you know they were pretty smart people so it's worth looking into so can you could you talk about both of those in a, maybe a little bit more detail? Yeah, definitely. So the Girls Who Game program, and anybody can go out to www.girlswhogame.com and see the program website. But that particular program stemmed from all of that work that my colleague Katina Kapolkas was doing, um, started in Canada, spread to the United States. Now it's also in other countries that we've been able to help get programs started. And it's really a, a program to help kickstart for schools and elementary schools to involve their female identifying students in the STEM world. And so with the structure of the program, it's a semester-based cohort and the the girls will go in, they can either go in as level one, two, or three, just depending on, you know, level one is they've never done the program before, level two is they've been in it one year before, level three, two years before, et cetera. Um, And each of those levels, they have different activities that they'll be involved in or different leadership um, promotions or, you know, uh, skills that they're going to be learning. So the, you know, level one where you start and and that follows a similar structure through all three levels, but essentially the girls are given an assignment and they're saying, you know, hey, let's create this community. Let's make sure that you have these other young women here to support you. You also have older women, staff members, administrators, teachers who are here to support you and help create these opportunities. And then you also have industry members like from Dell, from Microsoft, from Intel, um, who we partner with on this program. So there are really three pillars. It's that girl-centric community, making sure that they have a place where they feel safe to express themselves. The second pillar is real-world application. So each semester they get um, two or three of the UN sustainability goals that they want to focus on. So things like clean water or, you know, local food production, et cetera. Um, and so they will focus on that. They'll even have sessions in the classroom. Sometimes they go visit a nursery or they go visit a restaurant or they'll have a yoga teacher come in and talk about health and wellness. And um, they will have these different activities built around those UN sustainability goals and the main goal for the semester that they have to work on collaboratively as a project is a world inside of Minecraft for Education that really highlights those principles and highlights those sustainability goals. At the end of the semester, they also create a video where they present their world. They describe what they learned about, who were the other mentors that they invited in to learn from, and what are the specific elements that they created in their world to really align to those UN sustainability principles. So um, not only are they being creative, they're having teamwork, but they're also learning, this is how I speak in front of a camera, or this is how I explain what I've done to adults who are looking at me and evaluating the project for you know, our creativity or global citizenship, et cetera. And then the third component to the program is that while they're working on their Minecraft projects, they are also paired up with a mentor. And that's somebody from Dell, somebody from Microsoft, somebody from Intel, sometimes from local schools, um, other teachers, et cetera. But we utilize Flipgrid, like safe interaction methods with them, but they will go back and forth and they will just explain, you know, this is what I did on the project this week. This is what I learned. This, this is what I like to do in my free time. This is, you know, reading and et cetera really just allowing them to make relationships with adults that are not their parents, but that are safe, talking about a very specific subject, STEM technology and education and workforce, 
and and really see what they can be going back to that saying. Um, so it's it's fantastic. And then in level two, they start mentoring the younger girls. They start teaching the younger girls how to do things. In That's life. so smart. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, then they're reinforcing that learning, but they're also learning leadership skills. And they're also learning how to lift up the generation that was behind them. Um, and then in level three, we start getting them into more of like the, okay, let's look at what is competitive gaming. Let's look at esports. Let's do design build challenges. Let's, you know, speak in front of a group and share your experiences um, and and continue mentoring the younger girls. So it's it's a fantastic program. I'm very passionate about it, if you can't tell. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Um, and then the Soar with Mentor program, that one, if you go out and Google Soar with Mentor Dell Technologies, um, you'll probably come across the Google sites that we've created for those programs. We're uh, currently, we just wrapped up our fifth cohort of that particular program. And in the fall, we're going to be starting cohort six. Um, so we've had the amazing opportunity to work with you know, six different semesters worth of female identifying students, either undergraduates or graduates in higher education, and really help them along their career trajectory. Um, very similar in the fact that there are multiple goals for that program. It is also semester-based, and we'll typically have an onboarding and then a closing ceremony to bookend everything. But the true goodness comes out of the, the four sessions that we host during the semester. Um, where the structure of those sessions is, you know, come in, you're going to get paired with a new mentor for each of those sessions. So you're going to speak with at least four different professionals in technology throughout the program. And you're going to get to know them a little bit. We're going to do intros. You're going to say hi, talk to each other. And then we're going to go back into the main room. It's all virtual. Um, we're going to go back into the main virtual room and we're going to hear about a tech skill. So whether that is 5G or cloud computing or gaming and esports, you know, here are some people in the industry who are working in this particular area. Here are things you need to know. Here are the job outlooks for you young women um, who are maybe going into the career force or reentering the career force. And so then we'll go back, talk to the mentors again come out into the main room and cover some kind of career skill. So whether that is how do you write a resume or how do you have a digital presence on LinkedIn or Twitter, or et cetera, that is professional? Um, how do you uh, conduct an interview? How do you stay in touch with mentors? Um, those are all things that we felt were really important, especially for young women to have because they don't necessarily always get that natively. Um, so that is there. And then they are encouraged to continue their mentorship, to build out their network, not only with the other mentors, but also with the other mentees in the program so that they can have peer groups that they can go back to, ask for help, advice, share experiences. Um, and then we also do have a second level of that where it's a little bit more asynchronous, um, where you get one mentor for the whole semester and really develop that deep relationship with them. So um, we it started in Canada last year was when we first brought it down to the U.S. Uh, as a pilot um, for schools in Colorado and Texas. And then this fall, we're hoping to really just expand it nationwide um, for both Canada and the U.S. Sounds like everything starts in Canada. It does. <laughs> Canada is incredibly innovative. And part of that's due to my colleague, Katina, because she's a powerhouse. So um, what about other countries? Are do you are these are there similar um operations, similar uh, initiatives outside of the U.S. and Canada? So we do have some Girls Who Game clubs that are outside of the U.S. and Canada. I know we've got at least one in Trinidad and Tobago. I believe one was potentially getting started up in either Brazil or Argentina. Um, so we are definitely trying to expand it globally. Uh, it, you know, it definitely does take a little bit of time to scale it out and to also make sure that, you know, we, we don't want to scale out these programs to other countries and not give them the level of support that they deserve. So whether that's, you know, with the technology, because we do actually provide loader Chromebooks for a lot of the clubs that need them. Um, there's also, you know, potentially uh, different regulations around educational systems in different countries. So we're trying to be thoughtful and in how we approach that. But yes, we are definitely starting to expand there. Um, the Sorbeth Mentor Program, we have not yet expanded out past Canada and the U.S., 
but we're hoping to in the future as as we get more momentum, as we get more support for the program. Great, great. One one last question, probably because we don't want to take your whole day here. Ah. But um, could you talk a little bit about where can people find mentors? What you're describing are some very specific programs that would be great if you have access to them and and you you live in the right place and you, you and, and you can do that. But in general, because mentors are, are you know we're preaching to the choir here are so important can be so important. Where do where's a good place for people to look for mentors? That is a wonderful question and one that I've asked myself over the years at various times too. Um, I think if you are in a, an educational space, if you're a student, definitely look towards teachers that you respect or that have inspired you, um, or coaches, you know, especially like in esports and gaming, a lot of the times the people, the staff members, the faculty members that are supporting those programs are doing it because they're passionate about it. They're not doing it because they want to, you know, make a whole bunch of extra money because usually that's not the case. They're doing it because they find it fun. They find it interesting. Uh, so, you know, reach out to those people that you're involved with, the people that inspire you, um, in your day to day life. Uh, when you're in more of like an industry perspective, I think, you know, reaching out to, you know, and it's especially that's a tricky question, Tom, because it's especially difficult sometimes when you are female identifying or, or non binary or, you know, even sometimes too for male identifying people, it's, it's scary to go out and to ask somebody to be your mentor. But typically what I recommend is, you know, make sure that you have started a conversation with them first, done introduction, either go out to coffee, go take a walk together, ask if you can have a lunch with them or, or you know, buy them lunch or whatever. Um, just get some of their time. And something that I advise the young ladies in the Soar With Mentor program, too, is, you know, make sure that you're prepared when you do have that coffee with that person that you would like to be a mentor. Make yeah. sure that you have an outline of here are my goals. Here's where I'm heading. Here's where my interests lie and what I've done. I saw you do this. I saw you give a speech about this. I was really inspired when you wrote this article or came to this meeting and delivered a project in this way. These are the things I would like to learn from you. And perhaps could we meet once a month, once a quarter and just grab a coffee and I could get some mentorship from you. If you take like even just that informal of a plan, like just bullet points on a list to this person that you're asking to be your mentor, that's going to show them like, oh, this person might really be worth my time because they're motivated and they're engaged and they truly want to learn some very specific things. So yeah, let's do this as opposed to just being like, I'd like you to be my mentor and then not really having a plan or a goal in mind for that, it's going to be much more successful. It's really good advice because I think people go into it uh, a little bit unprepared. I mean, people that do, you know, recognize that this is something that they want um, to accomplish, but, uh, but um, no, and I'm, st I'm always still kind of on the lookout for a, an organization that is kind of industry agnostic that, that's out there talking about mentorship, because I think it's, it's something that people realize the value in, but. Um, Absolutely. I know like Toastmasters is a fairly good one. As far as like public speaking, you can find a lot of those. Um, also, you know, just industry sites. Uh, for example, if you're in game development, I know that IGDA is a great place to find community and to find potential mentors. Um, so yeah, I would say definitely focus a little bit, whatever industry area you're looking at going into, find those professional organizations that may help you find others that are also interested in the same pathways. Right. Cause, cause that's the other thing you figure out on all this, this, this journey, you're, you're not alone. So, yes, exactly. I got, Even when I, I, you feel alone, you're not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why we got the internet. Um, <laughs> I actually have two extra questions is, okay. um, one, if you, if you work at, um, at, um, Dell, do you get an Alienware computer? <laughs> Not for free. Oh, okay. So, okay. Um, well, we then. do have a discount. We have an employee discount. Um, and a lot of us will, you know, save up our pennies and wait until there's a sale around a holiday. And then we'll use our discount on top of that. 
Um, but I, you know, I've, I've done that before. I have a couple alien right now. So <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, yeah, that was my question there. The other question I had was, um, are, are you going to be going to Ca- uh, Casa Bonita now that it's reopened? Oh, <laughs> that's a very Denver specific question. Um, <laughs> but I, something, you know, you recognize, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So for those that don't know, Casa Bonita is a, dare I say, infamous Restaurant in Denver, um, been around for many, 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 many decades, years. Decades. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's this amazing space where they have cliff divers, like they hire people to jump off a cliff and into a pool while you're eating. And, um, you know, it had, uh, it's a, a Mexican restaurant. Uh, so depending on who you ask, either really good or really bad food, the, the consensus used to lean towards, you you go for the experience, not necessarily the food, yeah, and and not the smell. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so it was kind of an institution in Denver, um, and that was like how you proved you were a, a Denverite. Uh, I, then it closed down, um, I, I believe, mostly as a result of the pandemic. But um, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators of South Park, purchased it and renovated it, and it literally just reopened yes um and i think i think there's even like wait lists so and it's crazy to get in um so my confession though is that although i have lived in colorado for almost a decade never went to casa bonita before or after i i really want to go just so that i can check the box yes 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 yeah yeah i just think oh no it was always such a nasty place but it was so (laughs) much fun i mean and the thing is everyone had been there. Everyone, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I grew up on, I mean, everyone knew about Casa Bonita. Yep. The horrible food and the bad smell, but man, it was fun. <laughs> and the t-shirts that said Casa Bonita Dive Team on it. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, boy, yeah, we should have gotten more. Um, <laughs> but, but one of the things I really like about the story is that the guys from South Park came in and gave back to the community that they came mm-hmm. from. Because they're, I, I, I don't know if they're from Denver. They may be because South Park, a lot of people don't realize, is an area in Colorado. I mean, we were yes. associated with North Park, uh, but there was South Park. So th- th- it's just nice to see people giving back to the community that they came from and that, you know, can hopefully inspire others. I mean, it, you know, this is a once, once one-off deal. Oh, absolutely. But I, I feel like it's actually very applicable to what we've been talking about, too, because there are, you know, going back to some of your first comments, there are streamers that have come from Colorado. There are game publishers that have come from Colorado. Our governor was a tech entrepreneur and loves gaming. And so it's a focus of his as well. So, uh, you know, I, I do think that there's this incredible outpouring of support, you know, especially, and I'm totally biased, but especially in Colorado of, you know, hey, that's where I came from and I love that state and I really want to give back and I really want to create those opportunities. So, um, you know, all all of the people who have ever lived in, loved, camped in Colorado, uh, you know, it usually holds a special place in their heart. And so we are very grateful. Those of us that live here, we're very grateful for them remembering that and coming back and um, encouraging industries, whether it's restaurant or gaming. Maybe we should have a Wyoming versus Colorado esports. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> it's idea. like they're it's like, OK, we Careful what you ask for. Uh, that could be a little too competitive sometime. Um, so, no, hey, I, uh, Danielle, I really appreciate the time that you had here talking about education, talking about sports, talking about Dell. Uh, so where can people find out more about what it is that you're doing? We'll put LinkedIn, yeah. but but where should they be going to? Perfect. Uh, so my LinkedIn is, is Danielle Rourke. You can usually find me if you type in Danielle Rourke Dell. Um, I post way too often about esports and gaming, so fair warning ahead of time. Um, but I do a lot of my connecting and networking there. I'm also at Hi Ed Danielle on Twitter. Um, it's H I E D Danielle. Uh, so you can find me there. Feel free to reach out to me if you want to um, have a meeting or maybe talk about how esports can be a benefit in your own scholastic program. That's great. That's great. So. Everyone, thanks for listening to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks again, Danielle. Thank you. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, 
do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded and so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at gamerschangelivespodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.